Chris and Chris Talk Movies. Welcome back to the podcast. My name is Chris Ferry, and this is my co-host. I'm Chris Huddleston. And today we are going to be talking about the 1981 movie Sylvester Stallone in Nighthawks. Is this trip business or pleasure? Pleasure, I hope. Welcome to the United States. Hamer Reinhardt, sometimes called Wolfgar. Born Frankfurt, Germany, 1946. Educated Paris and Patrice Lumumba University, Moscow. Currently self-employed. Occupation, international terrorist. You are to be indoctrinated in counter-terrorist techniques. Deke de Silva, age 35. Born and raised New York City. Honorable discharge, U.S. Army, 1972. 52 registered kills. Occupation, cop. One man can bring the world to its knees. And only one man can stop him. Universal Pictures presents Sylvester Stallone in Nighthawks. Okay, well, that was a a very visual trailer, of course, as trailers are wont to be. But I think you get a sense of the tone from it. Um, let's just jump right in, Chris. What did you think of this film? I liked the, I liked it. So um, the, I oh, have never. Sorry, uh, synopsis. Why don't we start with okay. the synopsis and then? Sure, sure. Sorry about that. So uh, Sylvester Stallone and uh, Billy D. Williams are uh, undercover detectives, they're partners, and they get reassigned to this uh, anti-terrorist task force that this guy from England has come in to run. And there have been a series of bombings in Europe uh, done by this international terrorist played by Rutger Hauer. And they predict the Interpol computers, which they have this large room of computers, which is pretty funny, but uh, predicts that he's going to strike next in New York. And of course he does. And Stallone and uh, Billy D. Williams are basically the guys who have to bring him down. That's pretty much the gist of the, of the plot. Absolutely. Okay, now back to... Your thoughts. So I, I liked this quite a bit. I had I had never seen this movie. I had been aware of this ever since. I, I remember seeing uh, this played on HBO when I was a kid. And it was one of those funny things where when you're a child and you start to kind of become aware of the actors that you know being other characters... You know what I mean? So like I loved the Rocky movies as a kid. And I remember seeing this advertised on HBO and it was like, oh, this is Rocky, but he's a cop, you know, weird. And uh, but it was rated R. So I figured my parents didn't let me watch it or whatever. So I had never seen it. And then um, 
There's a movie that was released later in the 80s called Terror in the Isles. That's just a it's just clips from basically horror movies. Have you ever seen it before? No, it's it's a pretty neat movie. It's it's narrated by Donald Pleasance. And it's basically like he's in a movie theater and he's watching. He's talking about what scares people and everything. And there's clips from, I think, Psycho and uh, Halloween and things like that. But for whatever reason, it has clips from this, which this isn't a horror movie in any way. But uh, I remember seeing that and, you know, they show a couple of good scenes from this. And I, it was just kind of always one of those movies that had sort of been in the back of my mind. And then it popped up on Netflix. It's actually on Netflix until August the 1st. I don't know why it's leaving then. But uh, uh, but I thought, hey, this is one, you know, that we should watch. But overall, I enjoyed this. It's uh, We can get into this more, but this is, it's interesting to watch Stallone early in his career yeah. because, you know, he later became kind of a cartoon character and he got lumped in with, uh, you know, the, that whole wave of, of eighties action stars. And he kind of got lumped in with, you know, of course with Arnold, but also the guys like Van Damme and, and Steven Seagal, which I always think he was several notches above those kind of lesser guys, you know, because, uh, for one thing, he this movie shows you, hey, he could really act. And uh, I watched First Blood uh, right before the um, quarantine happened. My brother-in-law had never seen it before. And I was like, oh, we should watch that. And, you know, you I don't know how long it's been since you've seen that, but he puts in oh, a wow. really good he puts in a really good performance uh, in that. So, you know like I say, this is a very subtle performance for him. His act, you know, he does a good job. Uh, Billy D. Williams is really good in this. They have a good, um, you know, rapport or connection or whatever, you know, it's kind of the buddy cop thing. Yeah. Um, Rutger Hauer is very good in this. I think this was his first American movie. Uh, Everything he had, he had done prior to this was Dutch and he worked with, um, Paul Verhoeven of Robo- RoboCop fame, I think on a couple of movies prior to this. Um, so, you know, it's there are some tropes in here that you've seen over and over and over again. There's a sure. couple of tropes that they kind of turn on their head. Um, and, uh, you know, it's not an amazing movie. It's, it's kind of one of those rare films that uh, when I saw the runtime, it's just over 90 minutes. And I thought, oh, this is, you know, 90 minutes is about perfect for a movie. Yeah, I actually wanted to sort of recommend that being like, you know, if you're into, oh, check it out. It's not a big ask. No, Dune. I forgot how long Dune was, which we did last time. But um, this is not that this is an easy hour and a half. You know, if it's not if it doesn't have it, you're not going to feel guilty about turning it off if it. But I I think it gets its hooks in you. I think, you know. You want to keep watching. There is a couple there are a couple of great scenes in it that I thought this is really great. Um, so I agree that the runtime is, uh, an added, uh, appeal though. I, what I was going to say is it was kind of one of those rare movies that I thought it could have been maybe like had an extra 10 or 15 minutes. Cause it, it, it some of it seemed kind of rushed and looking it up on uh, IMDB, there are two directors listed and one is uncredited. So I kind of wonder uh, if this was a, you know, kind of a troubled production and, that would explain um, a lot because my criticisms of the film are that it's a little uneven. It's a lot uneven. 
mm-hmm. um, and a little all over the place. There are some scenes where you feel like Stallone and Billy Dee Williams are, are improvising some stuff. And yeah, that's fine. I don't have a problem with that in concept. It just feels like there's this sort of subtext. There's one that they're, they're <laughs> okay. I got to zoom out for one second. So they have a kind of a, a sting thing they do. They're, they're plain clothes uh, cops. Mm-hmm. And St- Stallone dresses up as a woman frequently with a mask. Now in the, let me interrupt you for just, I don't want to mean to interrupt you. (laughs) Did did you spot that immediately in the beginning that that was not? No, no, because it's so silly. I'm like, surely not. And then, but I thought, (laughs) I thought either this woman has a lot of makeup on because it looked like, you know, it looked like a mask to me. So I thought either she has a ton of makeup on or this is somebody dressed up as a woman. I kind of spotted that right away that that was a, a sting thing, but that was pretty funny. Well, just the cartoon. I mean, it's very wily e. coyote. Uh, mm-hmm. you know, it's Bugs Buddy stuff. Uh but he's in a full like a full dress and I am I misremembering heels? I feel like might have you know? yeah, might have been. And of course, what they're doing with the character design is very it's a Serpico knockoff. He's got the shoulder length hair, yeah. he's got the beard, which you're not used to seeing on Stallone. But I mean right. it's it's very clearly a Serpico look. So when this woman reaches up and sort of pulls off her face and wig and underneath is this woolly bearded Stallone, mm-hmm. it's a laugh. You know, it's a it's not supposed to be a funny movie uh, moment in the film. But so they've got this thing going where they they uh, he dresses up and he's the bait and some bad guys come out to victimize this poor woman. And they're down. Uh, this is all getting around to the improvised scene I was thinking of. So they're down They're They're doing their bit and some cops pull up and it turns out they're there to say, Hey, you're wanted downtown for what turns out to be this uh, international task force, but it ruins their, it scares off their perps. And as they're leaving the thing, Billy Dee Williams wads up the slip or whatever that says, you know, the summons and throws it on the ground. And there's this exchange of like, oh, you're littering. Uh, Don't litter. Right. (laughs) And if you watch it, go back and watch that scene for a second. It's like they're sort of thinking, like, uh, should I pick it up or do we keep walking or what? I guess I guess we keep walking. You know, it's it, it made me think whoever is directing this. Knowing that there's two directors makes a lot of sense, but it just felt like there wasn't a single real strong, clear vision of what this movie was and scene by scene, what the tone was supposed to be, the goal of each scene. And the actors, all three of them, um, seem not, you know, Rutger Hauer is great and he's naturally, uh, he's got a natural ease on screen. The camera loves him. Um, mm-hmm. I just felt there was no director um, pushing him. You know, he can play yeah. the kind of charming and, and you just get the sense like he just he learned his lines, you know, and he made some choices and he showed up and he sort of did his thing with a smile. And, uh, you know, and it was fine. It was probably the most compelling part of the movie, but it's yeah. far from the best work that Rutger Hauer's ever done. And I thought, well, that's the director, man. You got to say that was great. Now I want another take where you double the stakes, right? Mm -hmm. Now I want yet another take, you know, where this is the key moment that it's driving to, you know what I mean? Yeah, exactly. Nobody was riding these guys. 
And, you know, a couple of things that were, you know, where I said, uh, I think it could have used a little more time in the beginning, you know, they do a couple of stings and it doesn't, it seems like they do a fine job with it, it, you know, but, uh, but it's like all the other cops hate them and the, the chief or whatever doesn't like them. He doesn't like what they're doing and wants to move them to this other, uh, thing, but you don't really, you don't really get any indication as to why. And also with Rutger Hauer, there's very little about why he's doing what he's doing. I mean, he gives a speech late in the movie about that. He's representing repressed people or whatever, but you don't know. I mean, that, that trailer gives more backstory than, than what the, the movie gives you almost well and when he talks about it in the movie it's like he's going to lose his job prospects right right? when he when he's talking there's a female assassin or terrorist as well and that is sort of his only other cohort that we see stateside and in his conversations with her i don't even remember the names it's like oh well you know he'll you know he won't believe his eye it's always like he's trying to land a gig you know he doesn't want to low future job prospects by getting burned on this one unless he does make a, a sort of a speech about um you know the 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 oppressed blah, blah, blah. it's it all comes off as baloney you don't believe yeah, somebody it, it somebody who guy. is uh somebody who is uh, you know there uh has some kind of a cause or something they don't look at that like a job you know what i mean it's that was that was a little little i don't think there's a whole lot of terrorists that it's like oh this is my job i don't really right. like blowing things. you know he says at one point i don't like killing people it's just my job but it's like i don't like you know blowing up things and stuff but it's just what i do for a little you know you got to make a living i don't well, know that wonder, was kind of weird yeah I, I wonder i wanted to get your thoughts on this too i thought to myself when i was watching in 1981 is this because of course we see psychopaths all over the screen nowadays and Mm -hmm. particularly after um hannibal lecter in the silence of the lambs right um that was so so resonant a performance that you've seen many imitators of like you know and all the way down to true crime shows about the worst serial killers of all time and whatever um but i wondered you know in 81 this idea of a utterly remorseless charming manipulative highly intelligent organized psychopath who says he doesn't like killing and and doesn't in the performance doesn't seem to do it for its for the pleasure of it um but doesn't seem negatively affected you know doesn't pause at doing it either i wondered you know is this one of the early depictions is i felt like this movie was supposed to be the very concept of a character like rutger hauer's was supposed to strike terror into the viewer Like, oh, my God, this guys he's not, there's no code. There's no, he just sets off a bomb or he'll just, you know, if somebody discovers his case of guns, you know, he'll just kill him. Like, Mm -hmm. who could do such a thing? You know what I mean? And, of course, now you're, it seems pretty tame, actually. Like, he's sort of polite. He kills them. He doesn't torture them to death. He just shoots them. He lets a baby go at one point, you know, because he doesn't want to kill the baby. Now he's more concerned with what the media would say about that. Yeah. but he doesn't want to kill a baby, you know. Well, um, and he does it to draw. He demands 
that the Stallone character be the one to come and get the baby. So he right. wants a, he wants a face to face with Stallone more than anything. Yeah. To toy with him. Yeah, it's a good question. And, you know, that was something that I was thinking just kind of in general watching this movie. So I don't want to the, the ending. Of, this has a good ending. I, I thought I don't want to I don't want to give that away. But it, OK, but it kind of uh, sets the he has an uh, Stallone has an ex-wife who he's trying to rekindle their relationship. And so they there's a very common trope with, you know, the the love interest being in danger that they set up and they kind of they do something different with it than, than what you're expecting. Right. But, uh, you know, I was thinking a lot of these things we've seen so many times. Another thing that is a, that is, is a trope that they did a little bit differently than what I expected early on. I thought, okay, this, you know, cause they, it's New York city and it's, you know, New York city in the really, in the early eighties. So it's really terrible, you know, and that became a trope in the, in eighties action movies, uh, in particular that, uh, you know, they almost present the United States and especially cities like New York as like something out of Mad Max, you know, and it's just, there's all these criminals on the street. And I thought it was going to be the thing of, uh, Stallone and Billy D Williams are going to be these guys that, uh, you know, the system is full of these bleeding hearts that, that just want to let the criminals go but they've got to work outside of the system and they're going to kill them, you know, and all that kind of stuff, which it turns out not to be really that at all. I mean, they're trying to put these guys away, but Stallone is very adamant about that. He doesn't want to kill anybody because he had, what did it say? He had 52 confirmed kills and yeah. whatever. Yeah. So he's not the, he's really not at all the dirty, hairy kind of guy that it's just like, I'm just going to clean up, you know, or even what, uh, you know, a character like Cobra or something like that, that right. Stallone became later that it's like, you know, the, the man is keeping me from killing these guys. You know, he, he wasn't like that at all. He was basically the, the but, conscience, right? Yeah, exactly. But we've seen these, some of these tropes so many times that you kind of wonder where they started. Like, uh, uh, with what you were saying about Rutger Hauer, was this one of the first movies to have kind of that almost like a Hannibal Lecter kind of a character? I don't know. Well, terrorism wasn't new. You know, right. there, I, I remember, um, oh, I'm embarrassed now that I'm going to mess up the title of this. Is it Three Days of the Condor? Yeah, uh, yeah. Yeah, we watched that as kids at your house. Yeah. I can remember that. So that's the with the OAS and the assassin that yeah. is trying to uh, assassinate De Gaulle. Great movie. Oh, awesome movie. Um, yeah. You know, and the idea of assassins and terrorists aren't new to cinema, of course. But, you know, in a post 9-11 world, the idea of terrorism on American soil is not novel. And certainly, I mean, I was just watching the Tom Clancy series on with um, what's his face on, on Amazon, which is fine. You know, it's entertaining. I like him. John mm -hmm. Krasinski. The guy, yeah. Yeah. But it, it's all about chasing down terrorists. Like that's the whole, it's a thing now, but it wasn't really a thing prior to nine 11. Right. So we're like, Oh gosh, another bomb. The IRA set up a bomb and a, you know, it's horrible, horrible. But the thought of it happening in America just felt like, well, it doesn't matter America, mm -hmm. right? And this is well before 
that time. So I think that was supposed to be part of the was was the idea of making American terrorism and and a, a terrorist in America real. And just the concept of it was supposed to be terrifying, which I think yeah. looking at it, you know, from back with this reverse time lens, it, it feels kind of quaint almost. But to, just to jump back also to what you were talking about is New York in in that time period. Um, I don't feel like this movie goes out of its way to depict New York as a particularly dangerous or crime ridden place as much as it sort of seems to just accept that as the, you know, like these guys are, these predators are out at night and that's what it is. And that's why the streets are pretty much empty. There's no one walking around. Mm -hmm. Of course, and living in New York city, there's people walking around, well, a little less with a pandemic going on, but um, you know, there's people walking around any time of night, you go out at 3.30 a.m., you're not going to see too many people. But my point is, then it seemed to be like, oh, this lone woman that turned out to be Sloan walking down the street. I, I don't know exactly where I'm going. I, I, I'm suddenly afraid I'm going to get into fragile territory. here. But the tone of the movie seems to imply not that New York, you know, crawling with evil. It's more just like, yeah, it's a tough city. There's a lot of crime. You don't go out at night. Thank God we got a couple of Nighthawks like this mm -hmm. out there trying to, you know, trying to clean up the streets. And it's not a thesis of the movie, but there's yeah. the title, right? Like what Nighthawks? Oh, it's these two. Which I feel like you kind of get, you leave it behind early in the movie and it becomes about this terrorist. Yeah, that tone kind of changed. Like, like I said, I thought it was going to be the typical 80s thing where it's just like all this you know, and it, it you, they kind of got away from that, like like you said, with the once they switched over to being on the terrorist task force. I did think it was funny in the scene where so the scene that you referenced earlier where they are doing their sting and the other just regular uh, like street cop guys in their patrol car come up and, and screw it up. And then, you know, Stallone and and uh, Billy D. Williams are mad at them. It was funny because what they had done was it was in Central Park right? and Stallone was dressed <laughs> up as a businessman with a briefcase and he goes and walks, uh, you know, under a bridge through a tunnel and there are just these three or four guys. It's broad daylight. Right. And there are just these three or four guys waiting <laughs> just to, right. you know, and it's like, like pigeons it, perched yeah. on a, yeah, they're just was, looking for someone to jump. Was New York City I mean, I know it was worse, you know, then that it is now. Was there ever a time that it was like that? That <laughs> right. like you and, couldn't walk walk through Central Park in broad and, daylight without being attacked? You know, and these you... guys, it's not subtle either. It's not mm -hmm. it'd be funny enough if they just came out of nowhere, but you're right. It's like they went to central casting and like, we need three goons. Yeah. <laughs> you know, they line these guys up on the bridge. It's just, just people walking behind them, you know, and they're just like waiting, waiting. Yeah. Hey, just let's wait here until a lone business. Somebody, man. We that's when we see, the tunnel. Yeah, you know the businessmen <laughs> just walk through here, you know, every day or whatever. But like I was saying before, did you ever did you really understand why they were um, you know, they have the kind of standard scene that is in every buddy cop action movie where they're yelling at the 
uh, at the chief or whatever, because you right. know he's pissed off at them or whatever. Did you ever really understand what it, it seemed like they were good at their jobs? It didn't seem like was it just the other people were jealous of them or or what? I didn't. I, Again, I didn't quite I, really understand. I just don't think that was fleshed out enough. It just kind of all falls into the bin of this movie was all over the place for me. Mm. Like I could yeah. sort of see what was what was going on on the uh, somebody wrote it. Right. So mm -hmm. on the page, somebody was driving for something. Um, but then I think that got muddy in the execution. And and I also say about Billy D. Williams and Sylvester Stallone's performances, they're very over the top. Like mm -hmm. it's very, very big. And they have intimate scenes where they're like talking about Stallone's reluctance to be a part of this anti-terrorist task force. And these guys are partners. And he's like, listen, man, this is your decision, but you're the best. And if you're not, you know, city needs you. Like, what are you doing that you're going to walk away? And it's just terrible. <laughs> it's just, mm -hmm. a, you know, it's just hammy. And I have again, I'm like, where's the director here? Like, you know, somebody's got to rein these actors in and be like, okay, half as big more like why are you why are you saying this to him what do you you know dial it in focus focus because obviously both men are capable of good performances and i think sure. their performances could have been could have been a lot better here um he was you know rocky wasn't so far away i think he was trying to paint himself as um, a movie star that, or a great actor that could do a bunch of different stuff, mm -hmm. and he and he, where he ended up, you know, Stallone. As much as it's fun to make fun of him on the way that he speaks, um, a smart guy. Like, oh yeah, Rock, Rocky's a brilliant movie, and as a producer, like he's always been very savvy, and he's made a ton of money at it. And I think he ended up in the popcorn movies and Rambo, and he's like, oh, that's what is going to sell a ton of tickets and what'll be a right. great vehicle for me. And he did that for pretty much the rest of his career. And, you know, he wrote and directed and acted in a lot of the movies that, that he did. I think, in, you know, almost aside from the movie itself, I think one thing that's really interesting to me about this one is where these three actors were in their careers, because you know, we have a, like you said, Stallone became what he became, but you also have Billy D. Williams and Rutger Hauer. So this was 81. So this was a year after the empire strikes back. So, and a lot of this, I'm the, you know, this is just my own speculation. I don't have any proof to, to go on this, but I'm sure Billy, D, I looked, uh, Billy D's, uh, credits up on IMDB. His first uh -huh. credit was in 1959. I mean, wow. he had to have been a kid, but he acted, he was in a ton of TV all through the seventies. And then, you know, I kind of imagine that he thought, okay, the empire strikes back. This is going to be the thing that launches me into, you know, and he became very famous, but basically he was just typecast as Lando after that, you know? Yeah. Yeah. With Stallone, like you said, I'm sure he, so the, I think both Rocky movie, the first two Rocky movies had come out at this point, but this was the year before first blood. So he hadn't done Rambo yet. So 
I'm sure he was already starting to feel typecast as Rocky, you know? Um, Interesting. And so, like I say, it wasn't until the next year that, that uh, First Blood came out. And then also, like I said uh, before, uh, Rutger Hauer, I think this was probably his first American movie. So probably American audiences didn't know who he was. Um, the next year for him was uh, Blade Runner, which, you know, didn't really do great at the time. But now that's an iconic role. So you basically have these three iconic guys who, uh, you know, it would be just a couple of years more before Stallone then is also not just yeah. Rocky, but he's Rambo. Right. Um, and you know, Rocky Rut did well in the box yeah, office. Yeah, so yeah, they did. Nobody, you know. Yeah, all of those did. But, but you know, people knew who he was, but he was just, it It was probably just like, oh, it's that Rocky guy. So well, this movie. Just to remind everybody in case they aren't up on it is the the original rocky uh, forget rocky 4 rocky 5 and rocky 6 the original rocky was a drama it was yeah, not exactly. a pulse quickening um boxing movie where it was all flashing lights and thumping music and oh it's me versus mr t or me versus uh, you know the russian the the it was a very very almost plodding drama about this mm -hmm. guy who didn't he just didn't have much else he was good at and his claim to fame by the end of that movie was that he was able to go the distance against this much more famous much you know nobody expected this guy rocky to be able to stand up the whole fight and he just took <laughs> a herculean beating but that was the triumph of the movie you know yeah, it's a, it's a heck of a film, but it is, and, not, you know, written by Stallone. Movie. Yeah, not know. an action movie. No, no, not at all. I mean, it's, you know, one that one best picture, I believe. Um, so I think he was thought of as a dramatic actor. Yeah, exactly. But it's interesting. So this one only uh, it only made like 19 million dollars worldwide, which uh, adjusted for inflation, that's about 50 million dollars, whereas the next year with uh, First Blood, that made like 127 million yeah. or something, you know, with a big hit. And then the next Rambo movie made 300 million dollars, which is like 700 million today. Yeah. You know? Well, so, again, but, I, I feel like this was a Serpico. People are like, you know, I, I, you know, I don't know how involved he was in the um, the production of this. You know, the getting this made. But it it feels like that slot. There's a lot yeah. of uh, there's a lot of uh, flags in here that just feel like they're 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 making Serpico ten years later, right? Um, and they want to kind of cash in on that. People are like, oh, that looks good. Oh, Stallone. Okay, yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, cop. Yeah, yeah. Rebel New York cop, right? Yeah. But you just kind of wonder, you know, if this had been made five or ten years later with these three guys kind of how different maybe it would have been received, you know, cause it, it seems like this just kind of fizzled uh, because, you know, again, Oh, I I'm sure audiences is just kind of looked at it like, Oh, it's Rocky and Lando and then some other guy that we don't know, you know, but the funny thing is this was another thing that I got from uh, looking up the numbers on this, just to give you an idea how, just how different the movie business was back then. So this made 19 million worldwide 
it played in theaters for 38 weeks. Wow. Think about that. You know, a movie today that made $19 million, it worldwide would probably what be in the theaters for a couple of weeks. Yeah. You know, unless yeah. it had a budget of, you know, a million dollars or something. But well, um, you know, we were I was talking with um I can't honestly remember having a senior moment. I can't remember who I was talking with. We were talking about Star Wars and how old we were when Star Wars came out. And, hmm. and you know, you and I living in Parkersburg, Star Wars came out in 79, if I remember correctly. Is that 77. Right? 77. 77. Yeah. Okay. Mm -hmm. So when we saw it, I mean, it, it. You say, "Oh, that came out in '77," so I would have been what five years old. Like I was mm -hmm. older that when I saw Star Wars. But of course, movies didn't release nationwide in every single theater simultaneously right. the same weekend. They opened in big markets, and then they then they sort of trickled outwards to capillary markets, depending on how well they did. So I don't remember when Star Wars got to Parkersburg, West Virginia, but it wasn't that year. <laughs> you know, it might honestly not have been till the following year or even the year after i know my i i remember seeing it i have kind of a vivid memory of being it's one of the, had to have been one of the first movies that i saw yeah in me the movie too. theater but i have a vivid memory of of being there in the theater but my parents have said um you know that they've told me they said you know we didn't see that like the week it came out they said it was months later Right. That, that we actually went to see it. You know? Well, I remember I remember E.T. I don't remember mm -hmm. the specific. I remember E.T. being at the theaters in Parkersburg. In my mind, it was like for something like a year and a half, you know. Sure. It, it might have been, memory, you know. It was it ran for a long, long time. And they would bring movies back, too. I mean, I know they did that with the Star Wars movies where like the next summer or a couple summers later, they would just bring them back, you know, cause there wasn't uh, you know, home video or it wasn't, you know, super widely available or anything. So, right. Um, a couple other things uh, back to Nighthawks here for a minute. Um, one criticism that I had of it is I thought the music was bad. I don't know if you felt that way or not, but it was just re this really bombastic, you know, like jazzy, music with a lot of horns and stuff. And it just, I felt like there were times where there was just no music and it uh, seemed more suspenseful in those scenes. I don't, I don't know. I, I thought the music was kind of hurt it. I mean, I thought it was all over the place. I thought yeah. that was, it was like the directing. It was, you know, the idea that it was more than one person making those decisions makes a lot of sense to me yeah. because you know, I, I like the nightclub scene. They actually have a bit of that in the trailer, where it's this sort of driving post-disco, you know, beat. But the lighting in that, the, the, the shots are all lined up so great. Um, the music is this pulsing, because it's this nightclub full of people. And we've established that the Stallone character, he's explicitly told, you know, you're, you're going to come face to face with this guy eventually, and you're going to get one shot at him. Once he makes you, he's going to find out everything about you and you're not going to get a second shot. You know, he mm -hmm. won't hesitate to blow you away in a crowded place. And Stallone's like, I won't. I can't. You know, if it's not a clean shot, I can't take the shot. And the guy keeps saying, you know, you don't understand how this guy's mind works. 
Uh, and so sure enough, we find ourselves in that situation when they finally track him down. It's in the middle of a very busy um, New York nightclub and their eyes lock and Rutger Hauer makes him and he has an opportunity mm -hmm. and can't do it because it goes against his instincts as a cop. Like, I wish we got more into the character and his yeah. experiences in the war and why he's gun shy, you know, um, but we don't. Uh, but I still think it's one of the strongest. I remember sort of sitting up in that scene and being like, oh, well, now, you know, somebody's driving all of a sudden. And I thought that music was really effective. Oh, yeah, but yeah, I, the I agree. Ambient, but but in, in that sequence. But then and there were other sequences. I'm like, what What are we? Who is what's this? You know? Yeah. It was, the, the, the music was pretty, yeah, exactly. I mean, there's there's good things in this. It's it's well shot. And like I say, overall, you know, I, I thought it was pretty good. I, I find myself. You know, I don't know if it's just getting older or what, but it's it's interesting. And we've talked about this on on all other episodes, but it's interesting to watch movies from, you know, the late 70s and early 80s. I think just to see how different they are from, yeah. from today's movies, because, yeah, you know, it's. I almost feel like, you know, I love the superhero movies and all that kind of stuff, but some of the the action almost gets to be kind of like white noise. You know what I mean? Whereas you yeah. go back and just watch these movies and it's just yeah. very simple. You know, there's some action in it and some suspense, but it's, this is a pretty small movie. Um, and I, you know, I, I kind of like that from time to time. I, I say this is a compliment, although this is definitely not the French connection, but there was a couple of times when I thought, Oh, they're, you know, they're trying to fit into the, the genre slot of the French connection. Right. Um, where it's just, it's not an expensive movie to make, you know, it's just character work and, you know, cops and you're going to have some gunshots and some squibs, but it, you know, a car chase or two, but mm -hmm. you know, there's no robots turning into cars or you right. know, spaceships warping through time and space. Right. Mm -hmm. It's just, it's just a cop, you know, trying to like, catch some drug dealers yeah but it's a hell of a movie you know it's it's yeah. slow until uh, suddenly it's not like it's it's this coiling tension that suddenly sp the spring suddenly goes bam right at the end but it's man it's a hell of a movie um so i, I you know i i we're kind of out of time but I, i'm hearing you say you would recommend it i would yeah um would you want to if you have time would you want to do a spoiler alert and just talk about the ending real quick yeah, let's do that. Yeah. I, I okay. also so so for those who haven't seen it, I would also recommend it. It's it's on Netflix. It's a not a big time investment, and there's a lot of interesting stuff that we've been talking about. And now, spoiler and especially alert, especially gonna, if you're if, especially if you're a fan of these actors, which you know most people are. There's at least one of these guys you really like, if not all three of sure. them. You know, sure. So 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 now so now we're gonna spoil the ending. If you don't want to listen to it, turn it off. Okay, go. So they set up the the trope of so Lindsay Wagner, uh, who was uh, the bionic woman, is his uh, is Stallone's ex-wife. And again, she is she could have been fleshed out more. I mean, she, uh, you know, across they have a couple the board. of. Yeah, that's they, true across the board because she's, you know, yeah, the, the whole movie is like that. But, you know, she's a really good actor actor. And uh, but they, you know, it's like 
Stallone's kind of trying to get back together with her maybe, but she's right. reluctant and everything. So they set up the trope that we've seen a million times of uh, the, the, the love interest is going to die. So there's a scene where Stallone, you know, he makes the realization. He doesn't say it, but you're like, oh, he's figured out that Rutger Hauer is going to go and kill her. So he's calling her, you know, to warn her or whatever. And, and so you, you tell the rest. Okay. So then we follow Rutger Hauer and this is so by the numbers. It's just mm. paint, paint by the numbers here. He is breaking into her house it's a classic version of this scene. He jimmies the lock. There's a chain. He manages to quietly break the chain. She's in the kitchen. We see her, you know, making some dinner in the kitchen. She's alone, lives in a nice brownstone. Uh, he slips in. He's clearly going to, you know, kill her, maybe capture her to torment uh, Stallone first. But as as we get into the kitchen, as he just about to have the reveal, do you want to do it? So he, uh, yeah, yeah, he goes to stab her and then she has her back turned and he goes to stab her yeah. and she spins around and it's Stallone. It's Stallone. <laughs> da, da, and you know, that, that hooked me until like the last couple of seconds when they showed, when they showed, him so uh, right because so i funny. noticed i was like i was like okay that's not her because that looks bigger <laughs> that's too big to be her right and the beard she didn't yeah. have a beard well yeah. yes the beard but uh but from the back you know it was like oh it's too big you know to... yeah. did you laugh out loud when at that scene i i did because i yeah. mean uh, you know you see at a certain point at a certain point you just think it's you just think it's that end scene of the 80s mm -hmm. whatever and stallone all like you know, maybe she'll whip around because Stallone's gotten through to her and she's got a knife or something. Mm -hmm. Maybe, you know, you hear the gunshot and then we slow reveal Rutger Hauer's got a hole in his chest and Stallone has made it there in time. Mm -hmm. You know, one of the one of the basic flavors. <laughs> but then there's a moment where you go, oh, no, it's it's him. <laughs> sure, there he is. I, mean, I thought like... that was great. I thought it was a great. And the funny thing is. Stallone but the trope did. is so ridiculous. It's like he this is how he gets the bad guys. He dresses up as a woman. And I guess they telegraphed that from the beginning, right? From the opening scene. Uh, you know? Exactly. They establish it. Uh, this there's one thing this movie does well is it calls its shot and then it mm -hmm. delivers, right? Yeah. It points to where it's gonna hit the ball, and then it hits the ball there. And you can't fault it for that. No, no. Like I say, it hooked me. The funny thing is there is a there's a movie that Stallone did in the early 2000s and this is another one if you haven't seen it we could watch some type called icu and it's not it's i s e e u and they do that exact trope in the beginning of the movie there's a serial killer and stallone's a cop and um the serial killer goes to his house and kills his wife and then like stallone becomes like he leaves the force and he becomes a drunk and all this stuff and and the movie goes on from there so i thought oh this is going to be another this is another movie that he was in where his wife gets killed but yeah i i, I thought it was really fun how they how they turned that that was pretty set. common in the in the movies with violence too i i feel like you needed to you needed to give your protagonist a reason to like 
for revenge. You mm-hmm. know, you needed to give him a bloodlust of some kind. And that that in the 70s and 80s, the movies that really left a mark on me were, you know, where they linger on the victimization, the setup of that. And you're just like, yeah. oh, my God, you know. And the as an audience member, then I was like, yeah, yeah, kill, kill them all, you know, make it hurt you know, for the right. horror, the, for the evil that they've done in the world that I sat through in excruciating detail, you know? Yeah. Oh, sure, sure. Funny thing with this, again, this is another one of these where, uh, to me, movies were so much different back then. He kills him, and like Rutger Hauer, like there's this dramatic thing, that was pretty over the top, where he falls through the door and everything, and down the steps of the brownstone and everything. Uh-huh. But Stallone just walks out and sits on the steps and roll credits. You know, it's the, again a movie. Yeah, a movie today would, yeah, a movie today <laughs> there would be another scene with him and Billy D. Williams or whatever. You know what they did at, but this it's just that's just the end of the movie. You know, it's ah, like did you run out of film? Yeah, I don't, but that seemed to be kind of common. But I I liked this ending. I thought you know it was it was kind of corny, but. But it was it was fun. It's worth so. a watch, especially yeah, if you've I got, definitely you know so. if you've got someone you're quarantining with or you or after this is all over, you got friends you want to sit around and have some. It's it's you know, it's especially that for now it's on Netflix. You know, yes. I don't know where it'll go after this, but I actually when I was looking around for the trailer clip, it looked like the whole movie's on YouTube. So oh, okay, I think it's out there. I, I don't know that anybody is jealously guarding this property. I don't think anybody's really clamoring for this, you know, but it's weird with the with the streaming services how stuff comes and goes. I don't really know why a movie like this would leave. I don't know where it's going to go, but right. But anyway, but yeah, I I recommend it. I I thought it was I I'm glad I finally saw it after all these years. It's not an incredible movie, but it's it's worth watching. Yeah. I agree. Excellent. All right. Well, we're going to end the podcast now. Thank you all so much for joining us again. And uh, we look forward to uh, sharing our next movie with you next time.